This is where Skye and Alicia's story starts, in a small town of a few thousand in McLeod, Oklahoma, where I could feel the gravel crunch beneath my feet as I got lost between farms on my way to meet Alicia at the local library. Skye didn't make it, though. When she was 30 years old, she was murdered. I hear all of your stories. Our story starts there. My daughter had a little bit less abuse than her sister, who had a little bit less abuse than me, who had a little bit less abuse than my mother, who had a little bit less abuse than her mother, who had a little bit less abuse than her mother. None of that was a little bit of abuse. This is the story of how this happened not just to Skye, but to so many women like her in indigenous communities all across the country. It's the story of one mother fighting for her daughter's life and death, and in the process, fighting systems that weren't set up to support her in the first place. No one knows that story better than Skye's mother, Alicia. My name is Alicia Onzwa, and I am an enrolled member of the Absentee Shawnee Tribe. I'm also a descent of Prairie Band Potawatomi and also Kickapoo. And I am here today to speak with Autumn about my daughter, Skye. She was a daughter and a mother, a sister, an auntie, and a niece, and all those things. Alicia wanted to make sure that people knew who Skye really was, that she was more than a headline. Sky was quiet and funny, always making her mom laugh. Alicia described her as a really good kid. But looking back now, Alicia recognizes she didn't know everything Sky was involved in. Sky was usually a shy girl and always followed the rules. So when a 15-year-old Sky disappeared one night with a man she met online, Alicia was shocked. I was asleep. I woke up. I heard the front door slam and I looked out and... There was two white people, and they were getting in this vehicle, and she had gotten in with them. And immediately, red flags went off because, like I said, we only socialized with Native people. Alicia said this was completely out of character for Skye, or at least the Skye she knew. Skye's sister was the only person who saw Skye and those two men drive away that night. It happened so fast that all she remembers from the car is that they had out-of-state plates. And immediately, my heart sank. Immediately, I began to worry about human trafficking. Alicia called the police immediately. But after hearing Skye's sister talk about what she'd seen, they assumed Skye had ran away and didn't actively pursue her or the men who had taken her. But the local police at that time had had just simply, well, we'll put her in the system. We'll help our guys keep a lookout for her. But I tried to tell them this is not, this is not normal. This shouldn't be normal. But in communities like the one Sky grew up in, it's shockingly common. After I visited Alicia, I spoke with Carissa Hodge, the founder of a local chapter of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, a group in Oklahoma. She told me that she encounters stories like Skye's all the time. I have had one Native American Amber Alert go off this year. And we have had, just this year, between all of our chapters, 
probably 30 missing children or elderly. So it's not getting attention whatsoever. These alerts are issued by law enforcement with little oversight. When Alicia realized the police wouldn't help her get Sky back, Alicia started reaching out to other organizations for help. And it wasn't until I contacted the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and they in turn put me in touch with the OSBI, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. They immediately saw the need for concern, but the other local police department didn't. The indigenous community had similar experiences with law enforcement in the area, but the level of apathy shown towards a missing child was a deeply personal betrayal to Alicia and changed the way that she interacted with the police. I was afraid for the worst, afraid that they were going to tell me the worst thing. But just when Alicia had given up on the police, they called her with some good news. They found Sky. And they told me that they got her and that she was safe. And I just remember, you know, crying my eyes out because knowing that she was okay. So my family picked her up. But it quickly became clear that whatever she'd been through, Skye wasn't herself. I don't know all of the details of Skye's kidnapping and recovery because it was hard for Alicia to talk about. But one thing was clear. Whatever Skye went through, it was bad. But she did suffer some trauma during that time. And it wasn't until later, many years later, that she finally revealed to me that she was assaulted while she was gone. And so that was something that she um, never really uh, got to deal with. The first time I heard about Skye's story, it seemed so obvious that the police had dropped the ball by not pursuing her kidnappers the night she disappeared. But Sky's story isn't the only time law enforcement looked the other way. In every conversation I had with experts and advocates, I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. Crimes like these are repeatedly overlooked. Long history of crimes with no accountability brings us to today. Here's Karen Beastman, a professor of Native Law at Stanford. Congress enacted the Major Crimes Act, which actually then changed the whole pathway and gave federal courts the jurisdiction over all major crimes in Indian country. Back in 1885, the federal government decided tribes shouldn't hold the authority to sentence people for these crimes. And of course, rape is one of those. And if, in fact, the feds had prosecuted those cases at high levels over the years, it might not have led to the same kind of crisis that we have. But the reality is the declination to prosecute rate is sky high, right? And there hasn't been a priority for prosecuting those cases historically. A 39% declination rate, to be exact compared to 7% nationwide. The most typical reason stated for declining to prosecute is a reported lack of evidence. As tribal authority got taken away and the federal government refused to enforce the law equally, an open season on Native women began. Skye never got any justice after her kidnapping either. She did her best to move on 
by fitting a lot of love into the next 15 years. She got married and had five children. Even though the marriage didn't last, Skye's devotion to her family did. She was close to her nieces and nephews. The Kickapoo word for mother and aunt is the same. And that's how Skye's family saw her, as a mother who loved them and provided for them. She took pride in working her way up, from a housekeeping job all the way to cashier cage manager at the local casino. During this blossoming time in her life, Skye got a new boyfriend. Alicia and the rest of the family were suspicious of the white man who came so suddenly into her life and demanded so much from her. But this was Skye's life. And then the late middle of the night, on January 9th, my husband, we heard something outside. Dogs were barking, so my husband went out. He comes back in, he tells me that the police are here. And they get out there, and there's three or four of them, from what I remember. And they told me that there's been an accident. And that it was Sky, and that she was hit by a vehicle, and she didn't make it. And none of it made sense. The police said that a motorcyclist found her under a bridge, in the median unresponsive, and that she was hit a few minutes later by another driver. It wasn't until the next few days I began to realize how close it was in proximity to the boyfriend's home. It was less than or approximately two miles down from his home. And while it would be difficult to even plan a funeral under these circumstances, Alicia was investigating her own daughter's murder. She interviewed witnesses, examined the scene of her daughter's death, and poured over gory photos of her body, because nobody else was. Within a few days, we were given her belongings back that were on her at the time of her death, and we immediately began going through things, one of which was her phone. And that's when things really began to cause concern because, in her own words, my daughter contradicted what was said. And she had, in fact, gave information that showed that she did make it out to his home. That sense that Alicia had from the very beginning, that none of this made any sense, stayed with her. She realized that the investigating officers hadn't even bothered to look at Skye's text messages. If they had, they would have known that Skye was at her boyfriend's house the night she was killed. There were also details that didn't add up, like how Skye supposedly fell off the bridge and rolled to that exact spot in the median. So she would have had to tumble down, make it past the fence, and then crawl under the bridge if that were the case. None of it makes any sense. The police had also failed to interview the motorcyclist who found Skye the driver who hit her, or the boyfriend who was with her just before she died. The police decided Skye was already dead before the driver hit her. The cause of death is still listed as undetermined, though. Alicia decided she had to take care of her daughter, just like she had been doing all of her life. The legal system standing in her way seemed too large and flawed for her to fight. But she kept moving forward and started to research her options. She found resources, 
but mainly for natives whose death occur on tribal lands, which didn't help Skye. Oklahoma can be a maze of jurisdictions, and Skye was in the wrong place to die. That's even if the death is considered a homicide in the first place. For a case like Skye's, where the cause of death is listed as undetermined, Alicia isn't eligible to receive support as family of a homicide victim. Despite all of this, Alicia pulled together everything she'd found by herself. Text messages on Skye's phone that proved that she was at her boyfriend's house right before the murder. The autopsy reports. The photos she took of the blood-stained highway and brought over a hundred pages of evidence and documentation to the investigating officer. But after putting all the information together for him and doing his job for him and literally handing it to him, the policeman still said he had nothing to investigate. Having to look at my own daughter's blood spots, having to look at her autopsy reports, and seeing that the medical examiner says the other mechanisms cannot be excluded. And... Knowing that she was in an unresponsive state prior to being hit. The police officer Alicia talked to was white. I mention that because it wasn't the first time Alicia had been brushed off by white law enforcement. There's a race factor here. As a Native woman, with the statistics that we face, I have to acknowledge that. Whether anybody believes me or not, or whether, or whether people take that seriously or not, That is our experience. Alicia said that the investigating officer slumped over on the table while they met. He seemed completely disinterested in what she had to say. Alicia even brought a white person with her to witness the exchange. It was the same way the police had treated her 15 years before, when Skye was kidnapped. I seriously feel that there is a race factor in this because of the way that her death was treated. You don't just find a woman laying in the middle of the night unresponsive two miles from her boyfriend's home and not bother to look at his history, the boyfriend that has a history of domestic violence. Even after that conversation, where Alicia presented the evidence to the police, Alicia kept trying to convince the police to investigate. But in May of 2021, four months after Skye's murder, the local police stopped responding to her inquiries. Getting support becomes even more difficult without the investigating agency's cooperation. Since the police have to request the OSBI's assistance, including the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Liaison's office, the officer doesn't have to work with these agencies. Alicia learned this the hard way. Then she came across something the state trooper handling Skye's case had posted on social media. He'd posted a meme of two police officers standing in front of a house where a black man was standing at the front door. In the caption, the officers were saying, Are you all celebrating Thanksgiving in there? The black man said, No, we're just looting and rioting. Seeing that meme confirmed Alicia's suspicions about the officer. It felt like the system was poisoned against her. Kevin Stitt, the governor of Oklahoma, embodies how racism has shaped the modern policy around tribes. So then we come to Stitt. 
Stitt, who is out here spreading propaganda because he's upset about McGirt. McGirt v. Oklahoma was a Supreme Court ruling in 2020. It said that most of the eastern half of Oklahoma was native land that had never been disestablished. The case was a big deal because it was a step towards giving sovereignty back to tribes. Basically, it meant that natives in this territory could be prosecuted by tribes or the federal government. Non-natives still couldn't be prosecuted by tribes, but still, it was progress. Unfortunately, not everyone saw it that way. Oklahoma has been robbed of the authority to prosecute crimes. Put simply, McGirt jeopardizes justice. Over the past year, we've done everything we can to protect law and order and limit the impacts of this decision. That was Governor Stitt. For the first time during the 2022 governor's race, all five of the largest tribes in Oklahoma endorsed his opponent. They were united in their dislike for the governor and the misinformation he was spreading. It's lawlessness in the reservation. You know, it's chaos. Crimes are being committed. The governor went on some talk show talking about, you know, how it was anarchy. This came from the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Conference that you heard at the beginning of the episode. Here's Alicia again. Either he's that ignorant or he's just purposely spreading misinformation. I, I don't know which one. Combination of both, I believe. Telling people that it's created, you know, made Oklahoma lawless and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sitting over here disgusted by him because he's spreading this information and trying to make tribes look like they are incapable of handling these cases as if we're just letting everybody go. Governor Stitt's attempts to undermine the authority of tribes has contributed to the erosion of tribal sovereignty in favor of apathetic state troopers and devastating federal declination rates. This is Chief of the Choctaw Nation, Gary Batten. What's even sad with Governor Stitt is that he doesn't even realize that he's stereotyping us and saying that we're not capable of handling our own affairs, of governing ourselves. And I believe that we have that sovereign right and we have the capability to, to make sure that we do that. The governor believes people won't be tried fairly since natives might be prosecuted by their tribes rather than by the state. That tribes with power will lead to chaos. But the thing is, I'm in Oklahoma's. My daughter died in Oklahoma's jurisdiction. Where is my daughter's equal protection under the law? These racist stereotypes attempt to fearmonger the public so tribal sovereignty can be overruled in favor of the state's power. Natives continue to be subject to prosecutors who overlook them and allow women's bodies to be proof of what a lawless state actually looks like. Let's stop and imagine what could have happened to Skye if the laws were different. Maybe her tribe could have investigated her murder more fully. Maybe Alicia would feel some sort of closure knowing that her daughter's death was taken seriously. Maybe a president of crimes against indigenous people being taken seriously would have deterred her murderer in the first place. But the reality is, the police failed Alicia. The judicial system ignored her. It was at that point, Alicia's community stepped in. 
I come from a very large family, as most Indian families are, and they have been extremely supportive. My aunts and uncles just really surrounded me. My mother just really surrounded us when this happened and, and have continued to be there, come through faithfully since then. And they're just as they're just as angry and hurt. Knowing that Sky's death might have been prevented if the laws were different has changed the way her community responds. It's given them the power to make sure that Sky's story doesn't repeat itself. They're always asking me, you know, what can we do next? What can you, how can we help? In September of 2021, the year Sky died, her closest friends and family gathered to remember Sky. It was a, a memorial walk for her and an awareness walk through the town because there was about seven miles that she had walked earlier that day. And we decided to walk that walk because going to that town, you know, I raised them in that town until we moved out here to Hera. And going to that town after she died, ew, it would just kill me because I would feel like I wanted to get out of the car and take off walking and go look for her, even though I knew she wasn't there. It kind of, it was like a another feeling of before when she went missing. And so we had this walk and and we had a large extended family that came and walked with us. But we walked all the way to the bridge. This walk of grief and love is something they will do every year because they will carry this grief every year. With every step, though, she moves forward. I had an aunt that wore her traditional clothes and her moccasins. She walked the entire walk in her moccasins. And she was so she was strong until she got to the end. She probably broke down. She was, she was just so mad. Many surviving victims and their families have to adapt to a system that hasn't taken them seriously. While other families may find healing in a guilty verdict, Sky's family has to find another way, through walking. My name is Anna Marcy. I am the director of the Family Violence Prevention Program here within the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. When they first come in, and sometimes the entire time, they put a lot of stock in the response of the judicial system or of the legal system into their own healing. We can't let the response or the actions or inactions of any other agency affect how we are going to, we as the client or, you know, we as the survivor, how we heal. Our, our healing is our own. And so we have to really start as an advocate, start working with the clients early on on not placing so much power in someone else's hands. After all that Alicia's been through, she's become an advocate for others. In October of 2022, she and her community completed their second memorial walk. This time they opened it up to more people, something they hadn't been ready for the first time they did it. We had other people that wanted to join us in that walk, but I didn't know how it was going to be, how hard it would be, because it was our first time doing that following that path that she took and so we wanted to keep it kind of close and personal so this year we're going to be walking again on October 1st and this year we've opened it up to all the others that want to join so I'm a little bit 
I'm a little bit nervous about that because there's a lot of people, but I'm also pretty excited about it. I mean, just the support, you know, just the support that we get because my, my other children, they really need that. People don't see the devastation that it causes to families. She's put together two websites full of resources she wishes she had when she was figuring out her own daughter's murder. One focuses on commemorating Skye and is vulnerable enough to help others who are struggling with the emotional toll of losing a loved one to murder. The other website chronicles all the steps families should take to get justice, from taking notes right after the murder to the organizations that will help bring a case to court. Because I, I really want that out there. So I'm gonna keep pushing, keep trying to get it, trying to get it going, trying to get more attention to it, because I just want to try to take at least that much burden off of the families and try to help them make it a little bit easier for them. She's detailed her own grief to help others with theirs. She will never get over the loss of her child, but she isn't helpless. She's figured out how to cope through helping others. Sky's life was infused with so much meaning, and Alicia has ensured her death matters too. The compassion selflessly extended to Alicia by her friends and her family in their time of need, along with the love, strength, and resilience I've witnessed in her, shows a piece of Sky's heart is over there as Alicia braves each day. Sky belonged to this land. She was Bear Clan. She was talented, kind, a fighter, a survivor, a granddaughter, niece, sister, auntie. And she was born of generations of love that stretched long before and after her. As her uncle said, tomorrow is a gift that one has given us. It's brand new. No one else has walked around in it. And with each sunrise, you'll find strength to stand again, to keep walking. There is work to be done.